welcome to the Artist's Creed. I'm Steve Guthrie, Professor of Theology and the Arts at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. The Artist's Creed is a conversation about Christianity, creativity, and the arts. And the venue we've chosen for that conversation is the Apostles' Creed, an expression of the Christian faith with roots in the worship and proclamation of the early church. with the affirmation, I believe in the resurrection and the life of the world to come. And so what does that mean? What is the life of the world to come? Certainly, on the one hand, it points to the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth that God will bring about at the end of history. But Jesus doesn't tell us that the kingdom is just coming someday far off in the distant future. Rather, his opening words in the Gospel of Mark are, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. And in Jesus' ministry throughout the Gospels, the arrival of the kingdom is exactly what happens. Wherever Jesus shows up, God's promised future erupts into the middle of this present age. In Jesus' ministry, the things we expect from the life of the world to come become true now. The dead are raised, the outcasts are restored, sinners repent, the hungry are filled, the broken are healed. And so, when in the creed we speak about the life of the world to come, we are speaking about a kind of life that, yes, will come in its fullness at the end of history, but we're also speaking about a kind of life we're meant to be manifesting in the midst of our present reality. To use a well-worn term from theology, the life of the world to come is both already and not yet. In this episode of The Artist's Creed, I'm talking with singer-songwriter Sandra McCracken. For the last couple of years, Sandra has also been the minister of music at a Nashville-area Anglican church, and we talk about that during our time together. We don't talk explicitly about the resurrection and the life of the world to come, but we do talk about music and silence and how these should be realities that are are meant to thread through and shape all of our lives. This, it occurs to me, may be something we can think about in terms of the life to come made present now. So in song, the sounds we make are transformed into an activity of creativity and play and a source of delight. In sung worship, the sounds we make become a means of honoring and delighting in God. And similarly, in silence, we enact a posture of receptivity before God, and we demonstrate that our value doesn't rest in our achievements, our brilliant ideas, or our skilled speeches. So both song and silence, in other words, can be ways of entering, even now, into the life of the world to come. An important part of your life right now is working at St. Mary's of Bethany Yeah, yeah as the minister of music. And is that um, the first time you've been music staff staff on a church, or is that something you've you've done before? Um, it, it's it's the first time I've done it in this capacity. So okay. I've been there four and a half years, and before that, I think that I've certainly done a lot of um, collaboration and working with churches, but not not ever to this degree. You know, where I'm actually yeah. on staff and there every week and 
you know, it's a, it's a really, um, man, it's a really special experience because you're so connected to a place and, and then creativity grows up out of a particular place where it's not hypothetical at that point. So it's, it's shaped my writing and my, um, daily life a good bit. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask about that because, and you can correct me if I have the wrong kind of understanding of your career path, but it seems like probably for a while you're primarily uh, an artist, Mm -hmm. uh, singer, songwriter, and um, now are working or based in a church more than would have been the case Mm -hmm. 10 years ago or whatever. So I'm, I'm interested what that experience of you know mm. being rooted in a a church as a musician yeah how that experience of being a musician has been different or what you've learned about i don't know music or writing songs or yeah that's in that. um i think it's touched on a lot of different areas of life when i was um i grew up in st louis and when i was in high school um I did a lot of extracurricular like music and every every chance I could get. Yeah. And a lot of that was um either either bands or playing in clubs, but a, a lot of it was also church music and yeah. periphery of church music like, you know, parachurch organizations or different things like that. So right. when I first moved to Nashville in um I came here to go to school and then I I remember coming down to school I had my friend Kevin Twitt, he was the only person I knew yeah. in Tennessee at the time, right? So he yeah. um, helped to actually move me uh, into the dorm because my, oh, I don't know really? where my parents were out of town or something. He was moving back to Tennessee. Yeah. So, and on the way to Nashville, we had this conversation and he just encouraged me at the time to maybe put the worship leading thing to, to rest while mm. I was getting used to Nashville so that my identity was not wrapped up in being mm-hmm. known for that immediately yeah. it was really That's good advice and i actually huh. ne- and i actually did not lean worship until about five years ago <laughs> and that wow. was you know so there's yeah. a big gap of time yeah. where because i took a rest from it and then you know established um identity and and just you know took some time to be a student and to be a you know, a human being mm-hmm. and all the other things before jumping into things, something that I had done so much of prior to that. So yeah. when I, um, so I was resistant to it and then I developed uh, the, the like the, my work as a singer songwriter over the in-between years. Yeah. And, and then it, at the same time, the music industry was changing so much. So Christian mm-hmm. music went from like right. music about all kinds of things to just worship music right. in that span of 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Like what you would hear on, on Christian programming or radio was so um, so vastly different than what it had been yep. when I was in St. Louis listening to like Amy Grant and Wes right. King and Kim Hill and lots of these artists yep. that did all kinds of like almost Americana music, you yes. know. Um, but so I think all of that took to you know affected my own journey and how, how I got from there to here. And then when I um I think it was probably um somewhere along the way I developed a great relationship with a church in Houston called Ecclesia. Mm. And they were already singing a lot of my singer-songwriter tunes in their worship settings. So they'd sing songs um that I didn't really write for corporate worship, but they were so attached to them. Yeah. And I came, and when I would come to Houston to visit or to play a concert at their, they had like a little coffee shop venue. And when I'd play down there, there was just such a um, resonance, you know, mm. and we would, and then I, I think um, 
from that point, I was like, you know, I could lead worship here. Like this would be, these yeah. are like my people, right? Uh-huh. This felt like comfortable and it felt like a thing I had not done for a long time but was willing to open, be open to doing. And then um, and then started serving there. Even though I didn't live in Texas, I would just travel and huh. come back and forth and serve there and, and yeah. um, increasingly. And that just opened me up to... Um, to those to the desire to serve in that way mm-hmm. and then when um this church was planted here in nashville where that i'm part of now um the timing was right i wanted to get off the road for a little bit yeah and the idea of of a regular sunday routine yeah. felt really appealing to me for that season for the season i've been in so it's been really good it just sort of yeah. i mean it was so not intentional it's not like i right. you know um but yeah, there have been surprises along the way as to how that came up. Yeah, absolutely. And so how has your experience of music felt different? Um, I don't know, that when your primary venue mm-hmm. you know, in, at this point in time is, is a Sunday afternoon yeah. as opposed to um, you know, traveling. And- right. Um, oh, it's a real anchor to show up and be in one place and be known by one group of people. Yeah. Um, and I know church looks like a lot of different things, but for for me, I think it's been a place where I didn't feel like I had to perform or I had to come in as a yeah. um, like there wasn't distance between me and and everybody else. And so I yeah. felt like even as I was offering music, um, leading in music, curating the time, you know, from between this prayer and that prayer or between the communion and the recessional, like right. you have these little windows and it's like, as I'm uh, exploring the creative options within that time, hmm. I'm really be- beginning to, like during that I was shaped by the people that are in the room and the stories yeah. and the and the relationships that we have and the things that are going on in our lives. Yeah. So, um, and, and that becomes like a whole new creative I mean it, I don't mean for that to sound utilitarian because that's not what it no, is but that's a creative I, playground because you're like yeah. within you know you're within the playground fence right you're right. like in this particular school in this particular right. playground you've got right. these um, six pieces of equipment to work with so in that sense it's like okay these are the musicians we have this is um, the time we're given these are the limitations or the advantages of the liturgy that we're yeah. that we're using and and then you start to see um, just like imagination kind of bring life into those places. Yeah. And so there's like, it's a lot of fun. Like, yeah. I feel like that's um, been a place where songs have emerged. Um, yeah. Songs like, um, so a number of the songs on the last few albums were written kind of out of that Ecclesia community. You know, I wrote. Um, mm-hmm. We will feast in the house of Zion and God's highway while I was there in Houston, hmm. and those became you know kind of anchors for the records yeah. um, that are ha- the albums that have been um, in the last few years. And then moving into this community and um, in Nashville, there have also been songs like "Come Light Our Hearts" and. Um, trinity song and songs that are a little bit quieter like they're a little bit more you Mm. can hear this contemplative practice coming into play yeah and it's because um i had always been in prior to this i'd always been in churches that were um i mean i did there was not a theological shift but prior to this i was in churches where there was um more verbal like um 
like we'd sing eight verses of every hymn right. because there was just less liturgy <laughs> yeah. in the service. Yeah. And now that I'm in a more liturgical context, my desire as a musician is to like say less words while we have a chance to sing mm-hmm. because you're so saturated with like all the prayers and all right. the like the actual um, verbiage that's going yeah. on. So, um, you the know, music is doing a different kind of work yeah. within the service. Yeah. yeah. And that was all new to me, which was part of the fun mm-hmm. of it was like, um, just kind of immer- immersing myself in it and then figuring it out because I didn't have any background in Episcopalian sure. hymns or in like and and our congregation was has is largely people that are from all over so some right. people are from evangelical backgrounds some from yeah. um, I mean just kind of all across the board so the the when people say like when I travel around and people say. Oh, every you'll know this one. Everybody knows this one. It's like uh-huh. <laughs> that is, it's so funny because everybody thinks, "Oh, you'll know this one." We all, everyone yeah. knows this song. And it's like, no, actually, yeah, it. We are so kind of, um, we are so limited to our own vantage point, our own background, mm-hmm. and our own upbringing to the point where um, something that feels completely familiar to us might be new. Yeah. So, in in this particular congregation that I'm part of. Now it's really been fun to learn other people's favorites and yeah. then to find the common uh, catalog of songs that mm-hmm. we keep singing over and over that have become ours yeah. and to write more songs that would fit into that. Um, not so that we have more of a privatized, like we only sing our songs, but no. so that we are um, we are building and contributing right. to that catalog. They're our songs. Yeah. 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 I mean, it occurs to me as you say that, that really... Um, I think for most of history, I mean, statements like that are dangerous, but for most of history, (laughs) I think that would have been the case that music was written for places and for occasions and Mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Bach would have written a cantata for this church on this Sunday in this community, right? Um, So, I mean, recording technology and, and even publication you know the uh, printing of music makes it possible to write music for everywhere but music mm-hmm. that's for everywhere in a way is music for nowhere you know right. it's not for this place and that's these right. people in this time yeah and i i think that applies across the board like the more specific in terms of songwriting or in terms of um kind of for lack of a better word like commercial art mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like if you're trying to reach everybody you're probably going to miss but if you try to like express the way you see the world in a very particular way yeah um if you talk about a you know man my grandmother's house and this was the room and this is how it felt and this is what i experienced there people are all like i know what you're talking about and but you've never met my grandmother right Right. (laughs) so the more specific it is um the that richness of the human experience is actually allowed to um, kind of ricochet off, you know, from mm-hmm. one person to the next because it becomes universal again. It's the it's one of those great mysteries, kind of that right. <laughs> yeah. reversal of what right. you would think would happen. The kind of universal in the particular. Yeah, and yeah, that's good. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about a couple of articles that you've written. Um, you've, I, I guess, over the last couple of years been. Mm-hmm acting as a, a columnist kind of regularly for Christianity Today. Yes. And in fact, even before we get into that, what, what has that been like? Had you, had you <laughs> written regularly before that? No, this is funny. I mean, both with the church context and with 
saying yes to a regular column yeah. um, is very intimidating to me because I yeah. feel like I'm I li- I'm kind of a free spirit and I like to just kind of float and just yeah. take things as I feel like it. Right. And there's a there's something that has been formed in me. There's like a a maturing in that because having to do something when you don't feel like it and you're like I don't know what I I don't have anything to say yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to do um, it's so good it's so good hmm. because it kind of causes us to push past um, for me I think as someone who puts a lot of you know I love the spontaneity but I think as I lean into the rhythms and the liturgies of, of um, human experience I think it actually has kind of balanced me in a lot of ways so writing mm. regularly i don't think of myself as a writer i think that's one of the, been been yeah. one of the largest challenges is like um i really appreciate good writing and mm. uh and feel a little bit intimidated to you know step into a role where it's like oh i would yeah. have something that would be recorded and remembered right. and i don't <laughs> <laughs> and so i think there's um yeah there's uh, a sense of wanting to be a student in that that's part of it for me mm-hmm. and but it's been a good experience and i think i've gained more um more confidence around it and then um more humility at the same time because mm-hmm. sometimes it's really challenging yeah. so yeah. <laughs> thank you for yeah reading them and uh, absolutely mentioning them. Oh, i really um i mean I, I read several and these two that we're gonna talk about particularly really enjoyed uh, both Thank of them you. a lot and they're both so one about singing and one about silence um, which are mm-hmm. things that I um, like to think about a lot and teach about a lot I, I loved how you started the article about music um, with talking about your your nine-year-old daughter coming home from school and telling you about her day um, you say that for a child everyday communication is something more like singing than talking. So mm-hmm. like what what did you mean by that? How <laughs> is a child's communication mm-hmm. song like or um that's a good question. It, even as you say that I think about the contemplative practices, so silence mm-hmm. and singing are both part of that. Yeah. Singing being um the embodied where uh sense of like what comes out of us. And so when I yeah. see my daughter coming home and um, I mean, she she in particular, I think she's one who, if you meet her, there's just a sense of, like, vibrance. So she's going to express everything. Mm-hmm. She's very animated. There's this, you know, there's just, like, full of lifeness yeah. to her. And, um, yeah, it is not unlike singing. And, and she probably has that in her as well as she mm-hmm. kind of will sit or journal or explore mm-hmm. early songwriting even at nine years old. It's like, I think... Yeah there's something wired in her that um, makes it easier to see. But I think all of us have that, that yeah. sense of wanting to do more than just report the details, yeah. but wanting to actually like get up and, you know, wave your arms and right. um, lift your voice and, ex- you know, maybe extend some of your syllables to express what you're trying to express, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so well, much of the time we live with everything kind of rolled off and we're just like, you know, just give me the 120 characters, right? Right. And that's how we interact throughout the day. Yeah. So being able to that, so that moment starting starting the little the essay with that moment is what we're saying. Man, I want more of that. You know, yeah. I want more of um, 
life that is full of color and it's full of meaningful conversation and it's messy mm-hmm. and sometimes awkward and sometimes mm-hmm. um, overstated or whatever it needs mm-hmm. to be. Not not hyperbole, but overstated in the sense of like, tell me all of it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's helpful too in as much as, I mean, so music is a very concentrated instance of that kind of expressiveness mm-hmm. but what i like about the example too is that it, it highlights that music isn't this kind of entirely discrete experience wholly segregated from the rest of our lives but mm-hmm. there's like continuity between what happens in music and all the rest of our mm-hmm. our interactions so that yeah. when i'm talking to you i'm not beaming disembodied ideas from my brain to your brain but (laughs) i'm using all the tools of prosody and inflection and rhythm and articulation Mm -hmm. right that's part of the communicative act that's so true yeah and so that maybe that makes a little path for us to bring some of that of what we experience in music in a very concentrated way into more of the rest of our experience is it different um do you find that your communication is different um, in casual relationship versus teaching, like if you're in front of a room full of people, is your cadence and your rhythm of speaking different? Do you sing different songs, in other words, <laughs> in terms I of do. how you communicate? Let, let me just clarify. I'm asking the questions here. Okay, so okay. Just... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great question. But I, no, I do. And in fact, sometimes I think, um, like when I get home, I think I want to be... I want to be the the mm. person that I am in front of my classroom with my kids to mm. a certain although to a certain extent it's not it wouldn't be appropriate it would be weird right. but um but, but I do but think sometimes like my my most engaging <laughs> entertaining yeah. likable self is the self <laughs> that I am in front of the class because I'm I'm going over the top to to sing it and to perform it yeah yeah, yeah. um and maybe that is part of so you talk about how we've forgotten the language of music so i don't know if that um yeah sometimes i just feel like um and i don't know if i explore this particularly in the in the writing of that piece but i feel like sometimes i feel like the days are just full with like um getting the tasks checked off one by one and um, I don't want to live that way. And yet, yeah. you know, you move forward in life and you find that your responsibilities are just like ankle biters. They're just, you know, <laughs> they're like yeah. nagging at you all the time. So yeah. it's like, oh, this bank account or this this thing or I left the, the dishes in the sink or I left the thing on the back porch to dry. It's like, the, <laughs> it's yeah. like so from, from when you wake up to when you go to bed, if that is... Um, like the substance of what you're experiencing. I think that's the desire is like, I want to, I want to sing. And and even in that, it makes me think of like, what does it mean to experience the presence of God in that? Because that is going to be inevitable, like having to take care of the tasks. Mm -hmm. But, um, but the singing is somehow connected to the desire for space, you know, for like something more than just the getting the, checking the boxes. Right. Right. I think about both, I was going to say one of my voice professors, but also my piano professor sometimes used to say, be committed to that note, you know? Mm. Wow, that's, that, that's so great. You know, that, um, and that, so I think there is something about any 
effective performance, even if it's of something that's very subtle and understated, mm. that um, that you can't do it in a perfunctory way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And so maybe that's uh, what I feel guilty about when you ask that question about am I different, that I, I think, yeah, it is easy to engage with my children in a non-musical way in the sense that I'm yeah. I'm not I'm not fully committed to the performance. I'm yeah. not fully committed to sounding that note. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny my dad was in town this weekend and he was um and my son is 11 and I was watching them interact. My dad's just like wants to just he's like Peter Pan like he wants to just hang out all mm-hmm. the time. You know, he's he's but watching him play with my son and they always do this. They'll like make up a card game. They're throwing them against the wall. They're like, it's like yeah. a, it's like a circus, you know. Yeah. And, um, but observing it this weekend, it was like uh, it's such a reminder to me that to stop and to play, mm-hmm. and the invitation to play because my interactions, like you're saying, the song that we would sing at home. I mean, this sense of, I mean, we. It's just easy to miss it. You know, because mm-hmm. I'm, oh, well, we got to get homework done and I've got to get dinner on the table and I've got to get whatever. So you've got a list of things. But when was the last time that I just took a deck of cards, made up a game and played? And I know that's what grandfathers are, you sure, know, like right. they can yeah, do totally. that. There's a luxury that they have. But I think that it's instructive in the sense of like, hey, we should pay attention to what our days are full of right. so that we make time for this. Otherwise, um, we realize we've just been. Um, sort of coasting through without singing, without singing in the way that we're made to. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was sort of wanting to get to through that kind of line of questions about, you know, yeah. you know what would it mean to sing our prayers? That's a phrase you use in here, or, you know, you talk about we've forgotten how to sing. And in the context, it's clear you're not just talking about um, singing music in church or whatever. So I was yeah. thinking about that. You know, what what would it mean for me to, like your nine year old daughter, to kind of go through my day communicating in a way that has, mm-hmm. um, has the lessons of song in it that yeah. it should have. Um, but I think, like when you mentioned play, I think that's that's one element, yeah. the kind of the element of of delight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's something I have. I hope to grow in and. Um, being around kids and making time for um, for people that like where our exchange with other people is not all about like you give me this and I'll give you that right that's so much mm-hmm. of like adult life you know yeah. it's like and I just think when we make space for people and we enjoy people for who they are and stop to have a sense of wonder about that and there's mm-hmm. Um, there's something to that, and I think it's so countercultural. I mean, right? It's easy to miss, right? You talk about needing to learn to sing, and also that we need to learn how to be silent. And I wondered if those two deficits might be related. Like, if there mm-hmm. is some larger dysfunction in our culture or whatever. Mm-hmm in the way that we do life that has led to both of those neglects, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And Mm -hmm. as you're talking now, you mentioned a couple of times about silence isn't productive. Mm 
right. I guess that's also, you know, um, right. the, you know, people who, <laughs> who um, study music or whatever I'll often ask, what are you going to do for a job? Or what are you going to, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wonder if that kind of impulse toward productivity is something that kind of pushes us away both from being quiet and from yeah celebration or or from song you know yeah i think that's very true there are probably numerous enemies to you know a healthy human soul you know yeah <laughs> productivity is one of them sure and for me at least um that's i do experience that um and uh, I mean, sometimes even just too much of good things, like to like the the maybe some of that is coming out of our belief that there's scarcity, that there's not going to be enough, so mm. we have to kind of go, we have to make a little bit more money, or we have to mm-hmm. um, get a little bit more affirmation from mm-hmm. the right people, or you know. And so, as we chase after those things, um, when we when what's actually true is that the abundance is already. It is the reality, mm-hmm. you know, and so we don't have to go run after it, right. but we can work hard and we can go after those. Like productivity is not a bad thing, it, right? But um, if it's driving, if it's in the driver's seat, if it's pulling the whole train, right. then um, yeah, I don't want to be on the train, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and I, but I think working hard is is also um, what we're made for. You know, right. and it's it's a great feeling when you just yeah. like if you paint a wall or build a house or write a song mm-hmm. or um, raise a child. I mean, these are small and big things, you know, mm-hmm. the, and and yet reasons to say like we are meant to apply ourselves to these things, and yet not to be driven that your worth is wrapped up in the right. success or failure of those things. Yeah. Well, it occurs to me that you know, for many centuries, the kind of um, principal model of a committed Christian life was this monastic existence, which mm-hmm. included these regular um, you know, periods of work and silence and song. You know, if you mm-hmm. think of the, what, what the monastic life is, yeah. you know, it's these times of chanting the psalms and singing the psalms punctuated by periods of work and periods of mm-hmm. prayer, you know? Yeah. Um, so that there's this, a place, you know, for each of those things that yeah. you mentioned. But. Yeah, and I, I guess that's um, that's something that came up in that piece of writing. But just the idea that in a my monastic life, um, kind of perfect scenario would be a walk in the woods and feeling like I can just be out and I can just experience God's right. presence in that way. But most of my life is not spent walking in the woods, you know? And so what do we do with the life we're given and the opportunities we're given and the choices that we're making in that to um, care for the people around us and yet to hold um, an inner life that is reflective of that monastic vision. So if it's, you know, the prayer and the work and the balance of those things, um, I mean, balance itself is kind of, mythological right i mean it's like if the goal is balance you're already in trouble right (laughs) you know because things are held in such tension i mean there's Mm. um i i mean 
it's not that there's that there are not absolutes, and I'm not saying that. Right, but right. I think if we try, if our if our aim is balance, we're going to miss out on the complexities and the even just the yeah the complexities of God meeting us in the middle of things that right. are not all this and not all that. Like yeah. then that people are not just this or just that, and right. that situations are not. You know, I think as we move into those kind of complexities, I think um, it's it's not dissimilar to um, that tension between okay, I want a monastic life and I want to live in the woods and I want to you know have <laughs> right. these kinds of meals and these kinds of prayers, mm-hmm. and then here's my real life with you know right. a carpool and a right. whatever you know the list of things and whatever that version is for you, and it's like um, because I don't believe that. That we're all called to go live on a mountain, right? So yeah. I think we're called into places in the world to do all kinds of jobs, yeah. And all of that is sacred, and all of that is um, is invited um, into the you know the yeah. life of the kingdom, right? Well, and I think that's yeah, again going back to that opening illustration about your daughter and her musical way of speaking i think what's really attractive about that illustration like i said earlier you know as it, it highlights the ways in which our everyday interactions include music mm. um and some i think maybe that's a a model to set alongside the ideal of of balance not that kind of yeah i have these three separate activities and yeah. from nine to eleven i do activity one and from 12 to two i do activity two mm-hmm. but um i mean i think there's probably a sense in which i don't know music and silence and work mm-hmm. are each kind of threads to be drawn through all the different yeah moments you know yeah, and i think at true. times with with my kids that um, I mean, like some of the the sweetest moments with my kids are moments of of shared silence that are also mm. productive. You know, I think of kind of walking yeah. the floor with with a baby in the middle of the night. Mm. You know, which is both productive and practical and everyday. And this shared silence. Yeah. That, you know. Yeah, that's that's so that's a good picture of it. It's true. There might even be a song in there. <laughs> you know, trying to get <laughs> her back sure. to sleep. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. They all kind of weave together, and I mean, I think it is good. It's been good for me to to try to reflect on um, what has been, like looking back over the year and taking moments of mm. consideration. Like, okay, so maybe balance isn't. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking as we talk, but maybe yeah. balance is not the objective we're looking for. But when we look back, we can recalibrate our our forward momentum based on what we want to be different. So if we look back and it's like, okay, I spent, you know, roughly half of my time doing spreadsheets. Do I want, and that's not my job or whatever. It's like, do I want these proportions of what I've been doing? So evaluating it. I want spending spreadsheets. You do. See, I mean, it's like, I mean, everybody's (laughs) going to have a different answer to those questions. So figuring out what the, looking back, evaluating how it how it really is and how it's really been how much yeah. time with my kids how much time in the woods how much time writing right. how much time singing how much time making dinner learning new skills whatever those things are and then looking forward and saying what do i want to be different i think those times of of evaluation whether it's evaluating the last 24 hours evaluating the last year i mean i think some mm-hmm. of that's kind of like the ignatian ignatian practice mm-hmm. um 
but and I'm sure there are lots of other sources for that, but some different ways of looking at that um, and asking those questions and ma- you know spending um, making out a timeline. Somebody I remember the first time I'd ever experienced that was at um, I was at a retreat in Texas at Laity Lodge. I don't know if you, you yeah you know and. They gave us like an assignment for on this retreat. Go spend some time for an hour and map out the last ten years of your life, like bird's eye view. Wow. And I mean, I first of all, I was like, I've never sat and done anything like this, or yeah. or asked <laughs> myself. And it was like such a. Um, it was very illuminating because mm. I recognized like um, both from music and then personal kind of mile markers of things that had happened in life and highs and lows and all these things but to see them look looking on the page it was um just it gave me a lot of insight into how i got where i where i am you know Mm -hmm. how i came to be in this place i should say Mm -hmm. and i think doing that has helped me to find um some coordinates for what's next Hmm. that's good i'm also just thinking as we're talking so i don't know if this will coalesce into anything or not (laughs) but i was thinking about i'm checking our time here too we'll we'll wrap up here in a minute or two okay i'm thinking about um there's an um eastern orthodox theologian named alexander schmemann i really like a lot and yeah for the life of the world is a wonderful book and um a number of things that he's written but he talks about um that well in the title of that book that we yeah. we worship not to get away from the world nor as a counterbalance to the world but for the life of the world yeah. and the idea is that you know when we bring we bring this worldly realities into God's presence mm. as we do that the um the truth about those things is revealed mm-hmm. so we bring bread and wine into the presence of God in the Eucharist, not as some alternative to ordinary eating and drinking, but to reveal the character of all of our eating and drinking. Right. That um, that all food and all drink is gift of God, is God's presence, God giving himself to, and, and marriage, we bring mm-hmm. relationship into God's presence in this ceremony, in the church, to um, reveal kind of God's intention for the character of all relationships. Mm. Um, that when we baptize, we say that, you know, water can be a participation in the life of God and so forth. Mm. And so I wonder too, as we're talking about, you know, kind of concentrated experiences of silence, concentrated experiences of music, and then kind of, I don't know, a way of stretching that out into the rest of life, yeah. that maybe those moments of music in worship or maybe those monastic moments of silence are meant to reveal the possibility of those things in the rest of life or... Absolutely. Um, That's so well said. And it's, um, I see the evidence of that in the in my work in the last few years. And mm. so as the kind of silent prayer contempla- contemplation has become more of a habit, um, then you're it's it's it shows up so if i go to perform Mm. and i'm just playing songs but Mm -hmm. all of the um what what would be i don't even know how to describe it but everything that's kind of come alive in me in Mm. those times of prayer then i'm able to 
offer it in surprising yeah. ways and spontaneous ways mm-hmm. to a room of people when I'm singing or playing. Mm-hmm. And it, some, some of that doesn't mean I say a word about it, but, right. it, but it comes out in some, you know, kind of hard to describe way. I feel like there, there's like, it comes out in my voice, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm, and if I'm running ragged, it's not like I'm not still going to be able to sing the notes. Right. But there's something else that can happen and that happens mm-hmm. and there's a richness that I feel like um, just starts to, I mean, I don't know, it reminds me of, um, even though we're talking about silence, it reminds me of that passage in Isaiah that says, like, so, so shall his word that goes out, it will not return to him empty. Mm. So when he pours into us um, mm-hmm. the affirmation of his love and presence, we are able to offer that love to others. And maybe mm-hmm. it's that simple. So it comes out as like, man, I love these people. Yeah. I want to be with these people. Yeah. And I want them to know what I have experienced because this is, if this is true for me, it's true for them. You know, this yeah. sense of like um, God's blessing. And um, and I just, and I think we're hungry for it. I'm hungry for it. Mm-hmm. And as that goes out to nourish it, I think it is, it does infuse into all these other areas of life. And that, that book, um, For the Life of the World, was... Um, I mean, it felt like a retelling when I, I re- read it... Um, I don't know, maybe, uh, it was maybe a year ago, actually, hmm. someone gave it to me, and um, I read it, and I felt like it was kind of a retelling of some of the Francis Schaeffer Dutch Reformed theology <laughs> of, like, sacred-secular, like, that there is no distinction between yeah. sacred and secular, that all of it, every molecule in the universe yeah. is God's. Yeah. And the way he, but the way he it describes it in For the Life of the World was um, so refreshing. I mean, it was just so new. It was like, yeah. I've never heard this before. It was poetry, but it was theology, uh, yeah. and it was intellectual. It was like, it was just like uh, left-right punches. I think it's some of the most yeah, it, beautiful theology written in the 20th century. I agree. So good. Yeah. It's so good. And yeah. I ended up writing a song after. So it was about, really? it was Advent last year. Oh, that's cool. Um, it hasn't been released yet. It'll be on the new Rain for Roots album this year called Christ mm. is the Life of the World. and um, But it was funny because it was Advent and I was up late and I was at home by myself. So I was like, I had some time of prayer and I was so tired. And I'd been reading mm. that book. I fell asleep. I woke up. So I probably fell asleep like eight or nine. And I woke up. I was kind of disoriented because it was dark. And like I had a candle going, but woke up. This song just like spilled out. And then hmm. I fell back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and then I woke up the next day. I was like, did that really <laughs> did that happen? That's it was crazy. one of those like real um, stream of consciousness kind of hmm. um, creative experiences. But it was, it's been really, um, yeah. I think I'd like to go back and read it again. That's I, cool. I really, it's fun that you mentioned it. So yeah, it feels like it coalesces. For yeah, sure. I can't wait to hear the song. Um, I love that you know. Um, so Shmeiman says the original sin was that they chose to eat the one fruit that was not given, that was not gift, you know. Hmm. So the, the starting point for him is recognizing that all the world is gift. And so that just like uh, when I was talking with my students about this a couple of weeks ago, I showed them a ring that I wear that my, my father wore all his life. And as he was dying, he took his took the ring off and mm-hmm. said, I want you to wear this. And so that when I wear the ring, the ring is the 
I, in, in the gift, I experience the presence of the giver. Mm. Right? And that's, that's Shmeiman's point, is that when we receive the world as gift, um, then mm. we experience in the gift the presence of the giver. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I want that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. <laughs> so I think there's, there's something to when you talk about um, song including play and delight and also silence you talk about silence as waiting um mm. that in both of those and then we've also kind of contrasted that you see i'm trying to pull all the threads together <laughs> we also kind of contrasted that with with productivity uh-huh. the kind of this this posture of of delight mm. and attentiveness waiting rather than than earning i think maybe that's kind of yeah, part of part of the value of those things too that it's it's kind of connected to this posture of receiving the world as gift mm. that we can we can delight in. Yeah. I introduced this episode by talking about the life of the world to come. And so to wrap up, I'm going to read a little bit from the last chapter of Karl Barth's Dogmatics in Alpine, chapter 24, in which he talks about the Christian This is beginning on page 154. So, the Christian hope affects our whole life. This life of ours will be completed. That which is sown in dishonor and weakness will rise again in glory and power. The Christian hope does not lead us away from this life. It is rather the uncovering of the truth in which God sees our life. It is the conquest of death but not a flight into the beyond. The reality of this life is involved. Eschatology, rightly understood, is the most practical thing that can be thought. In the eschaton, the light falls from above into our life. And then skipping ahead to page 154, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him. The one who believes that is already beginning here and now to live the complete life. The Christian hope is the seed of eternal life. In Jesus Christ, I am no longer at the point at which I can die. In him, our body is already in heaven. Since we may receive the testimony of the Lord's Supper, we already live here and now in anticipation of the eschaton, when God will be all in all. The Artist's Creed is hosted by the Rabbit Room Podcast Network in cooperation with the College of Theology and Christian Ministry at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. Belmont University is a student-centered Christian community providing an academically challenging education that empowers men and women of diverse backgrounds to engage and transform the world with disciplined intelligence, compassion, courage, and faith. Belmont offers dozens of engaging and innovative programs, including a major in religion and the arts. Find out more at belmont.edu slash theology. Significant support, including generous access to recording facilities, has also been provided by Lipscomb University. Learn more at lipscomb.edu. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, the 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more,
more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.